our fight to eradicate corruption, maladministration, unethical leaders, and the abuse of taxpayers' money by those in power continues. It's fresh, it's fearless, and focused. The Outer Hour, where your voice matters. Good evening and welcome to The Outer Hour. Every Wednesday at 7 o'clock is when this show happens. Uh, so if you're watching live with us, welcome to the show. Do say hello in the comments section down below. We love your hellos. We love to know where you're from. And we love to know, especially if you're a first-time viewer on the show. We'll give you a, a shout-out if it's your first time. Just put first time there so we know uh, you are. We'll be looking at your hellos and your comments in just a moment and uh, taking you through the running order in just a second. So do remember that hitting play on this video gets it going. And if you've got the like button underneath the video, hit that like button, hit the share button. Let's get this show out to as many people as we can and more people around the table on a Wednesday night to discuss corruption and maladministration and how we tackle it in South Africa with the outer crew. Now, tonight we will be chatting about uh, the latest on the Dudumieni courts uh, situation. You, as you know, she has appealed. Uh, the ruling by the High Court. We'll find out what the latest is on that. We'll also be talking about Parliament's oversight failure. One of Outer's employees testified at the Zondo Commission this week. You may have caught Matt Johnston on your television screens. We'll be talking to Matt about his testimony and what Parliament's oversight role is and how they failed. And then Wayne Divinage joins us, the CEO of Outer, to discuss the state of the nation. Tomorrow night is when our president stands in front of the country to deliver the state of the nation. What does that mean for you? What does it mean for me? What does it mean for South Africa? And what kind of state of the nation would you like to see? And what are Outer's thoughts on this? Wayne will take us through that this evening. So uh, just pop your comments in the comment section down below to take part in the show, just below the video in the comment section. And you're in with us on the Outer Hour. Let's say hello to the team tonight, shall we? Let's start with uh, the CEO of Outer, Wayne Divinage. Hello, Wayne. How's it? Hi, Tom. Hi, everybody. Nice to be on the show again. Um, action-packed evening and an action-packed week if we just look back over the last uh, seven days or so. So much happening. So it's going to be a good show tonight. Thanks. And let's say hello to Faisal Davids. Where is Faisal Davids? How are you, Faisal? Hi, Tom. Thanks for having me and good evening to all the viewers out there. Laka, nice to have you on board as well this evening. And then Matt Johnston completes the trio of outer team members this evening. Hello, Matt. How's it going? Hi, Tom. Very well. Thanks. Thanks for having me. There we go. Familiar faces if you're a regular viewer on the Outer Hour. And tonight we start with you. We all want to see what you've got to say. Who's on first tonight? Sharish Sony is on first. Sharish says... Hi, great to be back. Nice to have you with us, Sharish. Don't forget to share the video. Outer is on board. If you see Outer in the comment section, that is, well, that means Samantha Van Nispen, Head of Comms and Marketing, is typing away, assisted by Ivor Cleary. The show is put together by our producer, Benele Sanatla. And that's the team behind the scenes this evening. Kurba Swanepoel says, evening from a load shedding Pretoria. I do uh, suspect that a lot of people are going to be load shedded tonight. But that's not a problem. If you miss the show live, you can always press play after the fact. This video stays on Facebook forever, we're told, by Mark Zuckerberg. So if you're watching the show tomorrow, the next day, or whenever it might be, that you hit the play button. Thank you for hitting that play button. We'd like to have you with us. We appreciate your support. Now, uh, Wandise Boyd says, Dumilang, Dumilang! Uh, Wandise, good to have you on board, man. I should do a, you know, I used to on radio do a, a greeting in all our official languages, but I'm afraid I'm about 13 years older than I used to be, <laughs> so I'm going to have to write them down. Next week, I'll start with the Dumilang, Sanibonang, Molweni, Khuyanant, good evening, Boreda, Namaste, Shalom, Salam Aleikum. I'm almost there. One more for the East Rand guys. How's it? And welcome to the Outer Hour. Okay, Tracy D. Hoa says, good evening, Outer. Hello, Tracy D. Nice to have you on board. And I see that Wayne is in the comment section as well. So you can engage with Wayne in the comment section easily by writing your thoughts and questions. 
Uh, right, so we're looking forward to your engagement, your questions, and your thoughts as we make our way through the hour. Let's start with uh, our legal project manager, Faisal Davids, who will give us a Durumieni court update. If you've been following the outer hour, all the news, in fact, over the last couple of years, you'll know that outer uh, challenged uh, Durumieni in the High Court, along with the South African Airlines uh, Pilots Association, asking for the High Court to declare Ms. Mieni a delinquent director. That order was granted, and now it has gone to appeal. But what is the latest? Faisal Davids, legal project manager, joins us. Faisal, uh, you were back in court on Monday. Uh, what application was heard? Just bring us up to speed with, with the latest, Faisal. Sure, Tom. So, as you may recall, in May last year, um, Judge Muzan down and um, Dudumeni was declared a delinquent director for life. She then appealed the judgment. And on the 22nd of December, Judge Talmay, the same judge that uh, the initial matter um, ruled, she, she granted the Section 18.3 and dismissed the application to introduce new evidence, and then she dismissed the appeal application. So on Monday was the, they then filed, they, they sent us a notice in December saying that they intend appealing the Section 18.3 application. So, so with the Section 18.3, it's a stay of the delinquency order, and there's an automatic right of appeal in terms of Section 18.4. They then filed us on the 21st of January this year, um, and it was on an urgent basis because they say that uh, the stay of the delinquency order is is um, is harsh for against Ms. Mieni. So it was a, it was heard before a full bench of judges. Um, our legal team done a, a fantastic job, and we believe that the application will again be dismissed, and the the, the, the section eighteen three will will be enforced until the appeal matter is heard by the SCA. And and Faisal, tell us uh, what was the outcome of Monday's hearing. Well, like I say, um, Tom, um, the judge, uh, um, our, our, our legal team made very compelling legal arguments. Um, the judges did undertake to provide judgment within seven days. Um, they did say that we shouldn't hold them to the seven days, but hopefully, because it was on an extreme urgent basis, it will be handed down very soon. So we can expect an answer within days, really, not weeks and months. Well, yeah, well, 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 hopefully by next week, Friday, or the following Monday, um, judgment will be handed down by a full bench of judges on the Section 18.4 application. Now, tell us, Faisal, the other pending application before the Supreme Court of Appeal. What does that entail? So, so Tom, that is the appeal of the entire judgment, the petition to the SCA um, to overturn the ruling by Judge Talmay. Um, the, they, they initially missed the deadline to file the appeal application. Um, they filed it late and then they, they filed, so the petition was dismissed by the SCA. They then filed a condemnation application um, thereafter. So we actually received news today from our attorneys of record that um, the condemnation application was in fact um, filed and a case number has been assigned. So at the SCA, I think once they've, 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 they've issued a case number, the, um, the petition will then be out simultaneously with the condemnation application that they filed. If uh, the appeal or both appeals are dismissed, Faisal, what options are left for Ms. Mieni? Then she's declared the Lincoln Director for Lifetime. She can't serve on any SOE. Um, according to her um, a legal team, she's resigned from St. Lake in November or that they renewed the board in, um, in November and she's no longer a director. And also, um, what does, hopefully, what the Section 18.4, if it is upheld, um, the Section 18.3, if it is upheld, she'll have to then also um, resign from the Jacob Zuma Foundation. And she won't be able to serve on any boards going forward. And will there be any options left? The Constitutional Court, for example? There, there's always that um, option, um, um, Tom. They'll have to find a constitutional issue to appeal to the Constitutional Court if it's dismissed by the SCA. And, I mean, you, as the law evolves, you find that there may be an application to the, the Constitutional Court. We never know. I suppose it cuts but both. Hopefully, yes. Continue. Hopefully, if, hopefully, if we win the appeal, she, she, she'll just accept her fate and, and move on. But I mean, there's always the 
the option to appeal to the, to the constitutional court. And uh, tell me if it, you know it, it, this can swing both ways. If it swings against Arta, and so far it, it hasn't, uh, would there be any uh, legal avenues left for for Arta and the citizens of South Africa? Well, well, look, Wade. I mean, sorry, Tom. Um, once it goes to the Supreme Court of Appeal, um, the Constitutional Court is the final level it can go to. So, if it's dismissed, um, if our appeal is dismissed at the SCA, she can appeal to the Constitutional Court, and I mean they make the ultimate ruling. Um, I don't, I don't believe that there'll be any recourse for us, but hopefully, um, with the referral um, by Judge Talmay to the NPA, she'll be prosecuted on. On, 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 on a, a tenure at SA. If you have any questions regarding the Ms. Miani, the Dudu Miani matter, pop them in the comments section down below. Faisal Davids, uh, our legal project manager, is on board taking us through the latest news. What's the, 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 the feeling like amongst the legal team at Outer and your attorneys of record? Um, we're always optimistic, Tom. I mean, we've, 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 we've been in court with Ms. Miani and I mean, we've been given and granted our orders on both applications. So, I mean, we remain optimistic and obviously we at the, the, it's at the judge's discretion. But I'm, I mean, we've, we, we've made very compelling arguments before, both, both um, before the judge president and the other two judges um, of the full bench. So I mean, we, we, yes. we are hopeful and, and believe that, that uh, the Section 83 will be upheld. Uh, Faisal, thank you. I know that you'll keep us updated, and as soon as there's news, you'll be on the outer hour, or one of the legal team will be on to give us the latest news. But that is the latest, if you're watching, uh, on the Dudumieni matter. Faisal Davids uh, is outer's legal project manager. Uh, thank you, Faisal. We may catch up with you in a little while. Stay where you are, at least for the goodbye at the end of the show. And we can hear the parrot in the background. I'm obsessed. I want to see a picture of that parrot that's whistling every now and then, man. <laughs> Yes? No? He's being noisy. Sorry for that. No, no, no. I've got two, so I know what it's like. Don't apologize. I, I, I want to see what the parrot looks like someday. I'm sure that uh, I'm sure our viewers feel the same. Lacker, thank you, Faisal. Okay, now, um, are you ready to... Thanks, uh, sure. Uh, are you ready to discuss the role of Parliament and Parliament oversight in particular? You know, I switched on the television this week and I saw a familiar face. I saw Matt Johnston. Matt Johnston is Outer's parliamentary engagement manager. And Matt was testifying at the Zondo Commission regarding Parliament's failed oversight role in addressing state capture allegations. Let's chat to Matt Johnston. He's on the line now and ask him the latest. Well, let's, let's firstly, uh, Matt, let's start with the obvious question. What is expected? of Parliament in its oversight role? Um, yeah, Tom, so it's, it's a little bit blurry, but the Constitution is very clear, you know, and Parliament's rules are very clear. Um, in terms of the line of accountability in government, um, I'd say that Parliament's where the buck stops. So ministers and everyone in any organ of state, that's any state-owned company, any department, any municipality, and so on. All of them have to account to committees in Parliament. So these guys are responsible to really ensure that they abide by the law. Um, now, they don't have any, how can I say, power to actually implement consequences, but they can make recommendations to law enforcement agencies, for example. But they have the responsibility to scrutinize what people in government do, and that includes especially ministers. Matt, I see your first compliment has come in. Someone who was watching along with me was Esme van Heerden. Uh, Esme says, good evening. Matt was excellent. What was it like testifying at the Zondo Commission? Matt, I mean, what, what, did, it, what did it feel like? I know it was remote. You were, you were doing it remotely. But uh, give, us a, give us some insight as to what it feels like to, to be testifying at the State Capture Commission. Um, well, thanks for the compliment, firstly. And it was interesting. You know, I think... The judiciary can do a lot in terms of learning how to use technology because that, that was quite basic. So there's this, this strange interface between a screen and I think the laptops in front of a screen. So it's not like Judge Zondo is actually in the Zoom call with you. But engaging with people at that level was very, um, 
enlightening, I'd say. And it's 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 a sense of the issue at at hand is important, you know. And these these people are spending a lot of money, public money, to deal with this issue. And I, I think I should say it, it feels good um, to to have that issue on the table and to know that this is going to lead to something. That's the expectation, at least. Um, but it was an interesting experience, yeah. Tell us, Matt, uh, let's go back to the oversight role of Parliament and, and give us an idea of how inquiries should work, ideally. And, and how did Parliament fail? Sure. So that's an important but difficult question because there's no, there's no proper precedent for how an inquiry is supposed to go in Parliament. But what we can say at the very least is that it's supposed to happen. And what we were talking about um, in that session is that most of these inquiries that were planned, that were instructed to happen from the leading people in parliament, if I can put it that way, they just didn't happen. So the politicians found ways of avoiding these things completely. How it would usually happen, I think the Portfolio Committee on Public Enterprises, the one that oversees things like ESCOM, SAA as of late, um, and other big state-owned companies, they actually did an inquiry, and this went on for about a year and a half, and they held these sessions and called people to come and account, people that were in companies like ESCOM in particular, people from Regiments Capital and so on, to come and tell parliamentarians what had actually happened, and I sat in many of those meetings, most of them, and they would continue until 12 or 2 o'clock at night, because there were just so many people who were involved in this issue, it had to come forward and explain their side of the story. So that's that's what's supposed to happen. But many of the committees just completely jippoed the process and silenced these issues instead of actually doing something about it. We've seen testimony from heads of these committees, uh, Matt, saying that they, they, they towed the party line. In effect, uh, not sitting there thinking independently, rather knowing what the party line or mm -hmm. policy was and then following that uh, with, 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 uh, with seemingly no regard to, to the facts uh, on the table. Is that, is that your experience of, of parliamentary committees and, and how they behave, that it's very much party politics, uh, even in the oversight role that they're supposed to play? Yes, unfortunately. You know, um, that's... That's the pattern that they were talking about most that Judge Zondo seemed to be interested in. And to me, you know, having sat in these committees for many, many long hours, it doesn't really feel that shocking anymore, but I think it should be, and it, and it still is. Um, there's a very clear mandate for people who are put in parliamentary positions, especially chairpersons of committees, right? They have a big responsibility to ensure that people's tax tax money, especially, you know, isn't wasted. Um, that's one of the very clear things is the oversight of public finance management. And many people, particularly from the ANC, but I, I suspect the, the problem would be similar for any political party, just don't see that as something important. And to an extent, you know, and I only want to say this because you have to look at the, the cause of the problem. And it's not just individual people who are bad. And in some cases, I guess that's, that's true. But it's also the rules that are just a little bit dysfunctional because mm. it's, it's not people, communities, and you, know, you and I who decide who ends up in those positions in parliament. It's the political party and its leadership structures that decides who's going to be there. So obviously, you're not going to, you're not going to serve the interests of people who have no power over your bread and butter. You're going to serve the interests of the people who have the power to put you in that position because they also have the power to take you out. And with someone like Makosi Koza, that's exactly what they did. You know, and she explained exactly how that went. And for me, it's, it's really shocking that people would just shamelessly um, admit that they would toe the party line regardless of, of anything because what they should be doing is serving the public interest. What are Alta's recommendations moving forward? Um, so, I mean, we made a, a bunch. And one of the key things that we said was there should be more public involvement. And 
that includes internal parliamentary disciplinary proceedings. You know, you can't expect the same people to hold their friends to account. You know, people in the same organization, literally comrades holding each other to account. That just doesn't work. So what would be useful is if people like Alta and other organizations and independent people could be active in parliament, be welcomed there, if there were forums for people to come and bring evidence or just a perspective, really, from a public interest point of view and say, this is what we think should happen. This is our experience of service delivery on the ground. It's not working. You know, don't ask the people who are going to be held responsible when government fails. Don't ask them how it's going because they're going to paint a nice picture or try and avoid responsibility. Ask the people who are actually suffering the consequences. That's one thing. Then, you know, there's, there's a model in Parliament called the Oversight and Accountability Model. It's really been around for a long time, I think something like 10 years, and that hasn't been implemented. So internally in Parliament, there's not really consistency either. There's not really um, a culture of compliance with their own rules and systems, um, which is an obvious problem. So we recommended that that should change and that those things that are there already you know those mechanisms of accountability should just be implemented and we also suggested that something like the ethics committee so the ethics committee is a special thing that really has to ensure that all members of parliament are accountable themselves you know besides their responsibility to hold other people that are in the public service accountable that they meetings are confidential. So no one really knows what they do. And we've submitted very substantial complaints to them and nothing happens, but we don't know why. So we asked them why and they just don't answer. So there's no real accountability. So we suggested that that should be transparent. Um, and lastly, you know, something a little bit more hardcore is we said that um, a lot of people are in important positions. They're chairpersons or people like Faith Mutambi, um, the former Minister of Mineral Resources, Mr. Zwane, and the list goes on, really. And um, that those people should rather be in prison, you know, that they should face tangible consequences as an example. And if that were the case, I believe, you know, you wouldn't raise your hand and say, yes, I'd love to be in Parliament if you know that you actually can be held accountable for your actions. Wayne, we keep hearing this word accountability uh, and we don't see enough of it in South Africa. How important is uh, this role of parliament oversight and then civil society's engagement with uh, parliament? How, 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 how seriously should we be taking this as citizens of South Africa? Well, very seriously, which is why, and I just want to give a bit of context to how we got to where we did in, in the Zonda Commission. And firstly, well done, uh, Matt. You, you did a brilliant job uh, at the Zonda Commission, but even prior to that, driving the project um, of compiling the document and the submission to, to the Zonda Commission. You know, we sat back six months ago. Uh, we've done a lot of work. We had an initial uh, big document, which we had presented to Parliament in 2017, when we were trying to convince Parliament of the oversight role in order to remove Jacob Zuma in that um, uh, no confidence vote that was coming up, I think it was in August. So we did a lot of work there, print, printed 400 copies, handed it to literally to every single MP and, and urged them to read that document. No room to hide a president board in that. And we did see at that uh, last vote of no confidence a big shift and a big swing away, not enough to remove him, but... But clearly inside the party, there was a decision that some made to, to move away from the party line. But it's not enough. And I think what, what, what we were highlighting is accountability is so important when it comes to MPs who are representing you and I in Parliament. And if, and if they don't become accountable to the people um, and, be, and they'd be held in the, to their, their political masters, well, then we have the fast that we have. We don't have... Uh, serious and meaningful accountability and, 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 and making sure that people uh, do things properly. You know, when it comes to the financial reports on SOEs, government departments, it's literally laughed at, you know. Nothing, nothing is taken seriously when, when, when the state and the Auditor General, sorry, and society 
presents to Parliament the, the, the glaring and obvious uh, errors and problems uh, that are happening within government. So this is such a critical process, and we believe that following all the submissions, including ours on this topic, what, we, what we're hoping is that Judge Zondo, in part of his recommendations, will be that the elect electoral reform now has to happen. And I'm not sure if you know about the case, we were involved in it, but going forward, um, if we get the electoral reform, they've got a year still, a year and a bit, to make sure that that happens, they're dragging their feet and we're not going to allow them to do that, then you will see greater representation from people who are elected from their constituencies and not by political parties to stand as MPs in Parliament. And that's the change we need uh, to have meaningful government uh, uh, shift in this country. So great work uh, again, Matt. And the team, there's a whole team that put that document together. Uh, and, and I think Zonda was very appreciative of it. Let's go through some of your comments and see what you've got to say as you join us on Hour to Hour this evening. Uh, Sharish says, Matt was simply brilliant at the Zondo Commission. Some uh, nice compliments coming in for Matt Johnston. Paul Bailey says, hi, folks. Hello, Paul. Good to have you with us. Basil Jacobs is reporting in. Basil from Boxburg is on board. Eastrand represented. Ah, yeah. Thank you, Basil. Nice to have you with us. Ernst Kahn is with us. Uh, Wayne is commenting in this uh, comment section. Esme van Heerden says the testimony of the past two was jaw-dropping. Paul Bailey says Rochdale United Kingdom here. Hello, Paul. Thank you for joining us from the United Kingdom. Uh, Ernst Kahn says every trick from A to Z. Leonard Hines says the problem is the ANC are heavily implicated in corruption. That's why they can't hold their deployees accountable because they'll eventually expose themselves. Esme van Heerden says it was clear that conscience plays no role, only the party line. Uh, and I'd like you to comment on that, if you will, uh, Wayne. We, you know, we keep hearing towing the party line. How, how dangerous is towing the party line in the era and the age of, of corruption that we're, we're living in? And how do we break away from that? Sorry, sorry, I was on mute. You see the, you see the comments uh, being made that, uh, you know, if you have a corrupt party like the ANC, and it is corrupt, it's not beat around the bush, uh, then towing the party line means protecting people who, who are implicated in corruption, especially, as Matt said earlier on, uh, Faith Matumbi, uh, Mosa Benzizwani. These are people we've laid charges against, treason charges. Uh, and, and Faisal can tell you a little bit about that as well. The, the, the legal department have been you know, extremely busy in the past, and we continue to lay these charges because it's important. But accountability is not going to happen if the party votes along party lines and they're told to do so. That came out very clearly, Matt. I think you want to add a little bit to that. I mean, that, that in your Go ahead. in the work that you do in Parliament definitely is an issue, isn't it? Yeah, very much. I mean, it's the majority rule. So one of the things that Zondo asked me clarity on is, you know, in my view, are there any mechanisms of accountability in Parliament? that doesn't require the majority rule to, to actually get something done? And my answer was no, um, there is no such mechanism. And that means, you know, in each and every body that there is in parliament, um, the ANC controls that because they have the majority. So, I mean, there's, there's one committee that's an exception, that's SCOPA, the Standing Committee on Public Accounts. That's chaired by someone who's not part of the ANC. That's the only exception. And what that committee can do is very limited. So, I mean, if it's people from the ruling party who are really at fault, um, you can't expect them to hold themselves accountable. And that's really the, the crucial point. So there's a structural change that needs to happen um, for that to stop happening. Uh, and a question for mm. Faisal Davids on the legal side. Faisal, is it possible to hold MPs to account in the courts of South Africa? What are the remedies available? Um, well, um, Tom, anything's possible. I mean, that's, that's, why, that, that's, what, that's what makes law so fascinating. I mean, if I was going to be the first one to set that precedent, why not? Um, but hopefully with, us, with, the, with, with the new president in place, things will change within Parliament. When we talk about the difficulties of, of uh, the ruling party being uh, heads of, of uh, portfolio committees, Matt, 
what 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 are your what are your thoughts on the future? How optimistic or pessimistic or realistic are you when it comes to the oversight role of Parliament in South Africa going forward? I'm very optimistic, Tom, um, because the the conversation has begun. You know, and these issues have now been exposed. And it wasn't by us, it was by the Deputy Chief Justice of, of this country. Um, and that's a major milestone in my view. So the first step in this whole process, and I, I'm sure it's going to take some time to get fixed, but I, I think it will get fixed. And what's needed is really these kinds of conversations we are having right now, which is great. You know, people need to be informed and people need to understand how our leaders are breaking the rules, you know, and how they're using the loopholes that are there to avoid any responsibility for the mistakes they make. So the more aware we become and the more the, the conversation spreads in civil society and we get involved and we, like Faisal said, you know, we could bring legal action. There's limitations to what one can do because there's the separation of powers. But there are things that one can do. And as soon as we have some critical mass, of public opinion that says, look, this is something that needs to change because otherwise we aren't living in a real democracy. Um, I think then we can actually make something change. It keeps uh, pointing back to the citizens of South Africa, Wayne, the, you know, that we're in a position as citizens that if we sit back and do nothing, we're, we're going to get a steamroller riding over us. How do South African citizens play their part in making sure, as Matt says, there's a need for structural reform in, in, in Parliament oversight uh, processes. There may even be a need uh, for structural reform in our electoral process or, 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 or to the constitution of this country. We may need to make changes that we never thought we were going to have to make to hold people accountable. How, how do we play our part? How does a South African citizen who gets up and goes to work and tries to earn a living uh, join hands? How do, we, how do we become more vocal? How do we become more powerful? Well, um, Tom, we can. And as, as Matt was saying, you know, civil society has got a bigger and bigger role to play. And every individual is part of civil society in one way or another. So a couple of examples. We've got a local election year coming now in the six to eight, eight months time um you have civil society organizations organized communities ratepayer associations indigenous communities and business chambers these are the entities that need to start holding their feet to the fire of those politicians in those towns who are ruining our our, our towns so you know participating in the work that uh, these inst these organizations do and that's a lot of work that arts is going to be launching on the, in its platform. We've spoken a bit about that in the past. It's uh, under development now mm. where we empower and, 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 and enable organized civil society to become more involved in, 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 in the say that has to happen in running that town. So that's the first thing. There are a number of um, submissions we make to parliament and we encourage the public to endorse those, uh, to take extracts from ours, to also write to parliament in their own way, and instead of doing petitions, which uh, which some uh, NGOs seem to have a habit of running these massive petitions and getting thousands of signatures, the problems with that style of, of um, engaging with government is that your comments, valuable comments, get lost in a myriad of one submission, whereas you need to get involved. So we give you the addresses and who to mail to and give you the facts and arguments on, for instance, nuclear. There's one of our current uh, campaigns, a new nuclear bill, uh, tariff structures and so on. So this is what our role in civil society is to enable uh, citizens to become uh, bigger players. And, and we need to see more and more of that. Then, then we talk about business. Your know, business has really been missing in action. I've said a lot about this before. Uh, I wrote a piece uh, last week around the sort of learned apathy where people give up. They just say, well, yeah. there's nothing we can do. And they start to justify it. We've got to change that approach. You can do something and business needs to take a lead. Use their association. Use their industry bodies and challenge government on those gross inefficiencies that make us uncompetitive as a nation. So there's a lot we can do in that regard. 
Well, Matt, lots of compliments coming in for your uh, testimony at the Zondo Commission. I'll read out a couple of comments quickly. Rudy Heineke says, go and read Advocate Fick's affidavit regarding Faith Mutambi and decide for yourself if Parliament's Ethics Committee is doing their job. Go to outer.coza for all of these details and more. You can learn more about outer by going to outer.coza. And if you haven't joined, hit the Join Now button. Tyron Sykes says, how does an organization cut... Uh, root out corruption when most of them are implicated. It's like business firing 90% of its workforce from top to bottom. Then you've got no business left. Uh, Tracy Lee Howard says they should be out under business rescue if there's such a thing. I think that may be a reference to SAA. I'm not sure. Uh, Suresh Sani says the affidavit by DGs and CFOs must include that was a request. And, and, and I think if I go back, uh, Suresh was saying Arta should request the Zonda Commission to write to all the DGs and CFOs of each state department and institution, requesting them to provide an affidavit to the commission. And Suresh went on to say that the uh, uh, DGs and CFOs must include, and it's all, um, well, okay, we didn't get the, the last part of that message, I'm afraid, Suresh. So just write it down and we'll pop it up on screen. And Alta says we're enabling people to participate. Alta.co.za, that's your entry point. Good job at Zondo, Matt, says Anita Whale. So a lot of uh, compliments coming your way. Matt Johnston, thank you for joining us. Stick around for the end of the show. Okay, Sharish says, which findings of the Attorney General should be investigated for corruption? This should be included in affidavits. Number two, who are the enablers of capture and corruption in the department and why? And three, list the pending investigations in the department and provide a status report. That's Sharish Sani's suggestion to the Zonda Commission. Get the DGs and the CFOs to write affidavits and answer those questions. Right. Tomorrow night is the State of the Nation. There'll be no red carpet this time. There won't be dresses and designer outfits. We, we, we won't be uh, watching politicians splurging our hard-earned tax money on a party. Uh, the State of the Nation is way more than that, way more than fashion, way more than a, a red carpet uh, event. And I think that the, the usual budget is around two and a half million for the State of the Nation. I was reading reports today that this year we're going to spend about a hundred thousand rand. Which is that proof that government can trim the fat, tighten their belts if they want to? I suppose in this case it's not a matter of want; it's a matter of necessity, Wayne. But it goes to show that you can take something that's you know cost two and a half million and get the price down to a hundred thousand if you really want to. Yeah, well, that's only because it's being held virtually. <laughs> yes. That should cost zero when you think about it. Um, but I think there was talk in the past to trim it down. It was a glitz and glamour show, and uh, and it needn't be. So I think this is the start of, 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 of a new way of doing it. And maybe even if uh, the pandemic is over, well, let's keep having it virtually. Let's stop wasting our taxpayers' money on, on stuff that doesn't need to be spent on. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be... Um, it's going to be interesting in the way it is, is, is presented uh, tomorrow. So tomorrow is State of the Nation minus the glitz, minus the glamour, minus the red carpet, minus the politicians in drag. It gets us closer to what the State of the Nation should be. And what is the State of a Nation uh, address? What, what should it be in your opinion? Well, Tom, um, just those four words, State of the Nation Address, uh, it should be a, an address. Um, if you're a first-time listener to a State of the Nation Address, you'd expect your president to be telling you what is happening in our country, uh, whether the state is in a poorer position than it was uh, uh, to the prior year, what's gone wrong, uh, what is government doing about dealing with the plight and the errors and the, and, and, and the failings and so forth. So... So, but that's not really what we hear. What we what we do hear about um, is government trying to position itself as succeeding. So you will you will hear about the past, about um, the good things that they that that they have achieved. And let's make no mistake, there have been some big wins uh, in, in in our country as we've moved into a new democracy and and got a lot of things uh, off the ground. But the reality is, year by year, the state of our nation has got worse. You know, so they will not reflect on growing crime stats. They don't reflect on the deterioration of our education system, for instance, or health and unemployment and, and poverty. Uh, they don't reflect on why those situations are as bad as they are and what they're going to do to fix it. 
they will glance over those issues, hoping or realizing that people aren't too happy in certain areas, but they will not give us the facts that we need. They will tell us what, we, what they think we want to hear, the good things that are coming. Um, and that, I'm afraid, is not a true reflection of the state of our nation. And we need government to be more honest with itself first, and then with its people, and tell us warts and all what the real issues are, what the underlying causes are, and what they're going to do to fix it. And that's, our, that's, that's, the, that's the problem with our State of the Nation. Let me give you a couple of comments that are coming in as we discuss uh, tomorrow's State of the Nation address. Uh, Krobus Swanepoel says that the President will keep pushing policies like BEE. Uh, and we'll hear about government policy as, as opposed to the true state of, what, of our economy and our, and our country. Do you agree with that, that that's, that's become a trend, that we, we, we hear about policy as opposed to reality? Yeah, so they'll deal with things like uh, a declining health system uh, needs a new policy and they talk about the national health insurance uh, and, and, and that becomes a new policy as if it's the panacea to our problem uh, of declining health systems and not to deal with the issues behind the declining health systems. They'll, they'll talk about policy such as infrastructure spend, uh, you know, creating jobs through plowing uh, uh, your big infrastructure spend into the economy. Now, in, in general, that's a good thing, but they've been talking about that for years and years, and nothing's changed when they did do that. I mean, there was a big infrastructure drive 2008, 9, 10 with the stadiums preparing for World Cup roads. Uh, so much happened. But in, what happens is we pay twice the price, sometimes three times the price. Too much money is lost into an ineptitude process of corruption and maladministration. And so we found that we could have got uh, 10 stadiums for the five we built. We could have got uh, four, three, 400 kilometers for the price we paid for the 185-kilometer upgrade to Gauteng freeway system. And that's, that's the problem. So policy is one thing. It's how it plays out. And then nothing really happens because we just got poor. We got into more debt. So government's got ideas. The implementation is shocking. Do you think that South Africans are fatigued, Wayne? I mean, you know, when Cyril Ramaphosa became president of this country, there was quite a lot of optimism and, and enthusiasm uh, around the, f the first stage of the nation address that he made. And I'm just wondering if by now we've become a bit more cynical, fatigued as a country, and, and, and there isn't the, the optimism when it comes to a Sona address. Yeah, well, we've seen, uh, Tom, that, um, uh, you know, people are getting fatigued. People are, are now fed up. Uh, yes, Cyril was a new hope, and I think he is still the best bet that we've got because you don't want to contemplate anyone in the Zuma faction being there. You don't want to contemplate our Deputy President uh, David Mabuza being in the role of Cyril Ramaphosa as the President. I promise you. So, so, so uh, you know, there's a lot of theories about it. He's playing the long game. He's playing a very strategic game. And I think he's winning. And we're impatient as citizens. And things aren't happening fast enough. So we get agitated and we get frustrated. But if you start unpacking what is going on, the NPA being uncaptured now, uh, working too slowly, but things are moving in the right direction. I mean, who would have thought Ace Magashula is going to be in court this month? Um, uh, and that the hard action that's taken... Uh, Zuma being, uh, you know, told by the courts whether he just, you know, doesn't want to be there or not is another issue. But so much good stuff is unfolding, and we must never forget that. So losing patience and being hopeless or feeling hopeless is the worst uh, a space to go to because that's when you give up. And we just have to ensure that we have more tenacity, more drive, more resilience so that we can fight harder. Uh, but we don't blame people for feeling the way they do, but we ask people just to dig deeper because we cannot let this, you can't slip into this national state of depression. Tell us what promises or statements have been made at previous Sona speeches and what actually happened. Yeah, look, <laughs> I mean, I said, uh, I reflected on some of them around infrastructure spend, but but if you just have a look at, at, at for instance, um, dealing with uh, ineffective SOEs, in, in tw 2016, 
uh, while Zuma was still there, they, he promised that they'd uh, go, phase out ir irrelevant uh, SOEs, but nothing's happened to this day. In 2018, uh, Cyril Ramaphosa spoke um, about reviewing the funding models of SOEs and, and stopping the bailouts. Well, not much has happened there. Uh, then in 2019, he spoke about governance and leadership in SOEs to be addressed. Thankfully, we've done something at uh, Eskom, but not much else anywhere else. Uh, he spoke about selling bankrupt SOEs. That's not happened. Uh, last year, repurposing SOEs and, and making SOEs profitable. Well, these are just the same stuff as being repeated in different ways. But the conclusion really is our SOEs have been a big failure. SOA has, has collapsed and they're holding on to this issue for, for, for life. And we can't understand why. Um, and you know, there's about 300 state-owned entities uh, 21 of them are major entities, lots of uh, public entities like museums, the CETAs, the Road Accident Fund. And if you look at all of them, most, the majority of them are failing. Uh, and then you've got the water boards and so on. And they are also corrupt. So I think government has failed in those promises in the past. I've spoken about job creation. And now obviously the pandemic has come along and changed that. But if you just look at the history, they spoke about real job creation. 2016, our unemployment was at uh, just under 27%. 2017, over 27%. 2018, uh, still around 27%. 2019, 28%. And last year, 30, uh, 2020, 30%. And now, obviously, with the pandemic, it's up in the 40s. Um, so were they doing anything really about job creation and the nine-point plans to reignite the economy, to grow jobs in 2017, the job summit in 2018 and 2019? Really? The, 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 the crux of the matter is it just doesn't happen. The same thing with SMMEs were promises. 90% uh, of uh, jobs were going to be created uh, by 2030 uh, through SMMEs they spoke about. Policies to be implemented, driving government to procure more through SMMEs. Nothing has happened in that regard. A gross failure. And uh, so, so the list goes on. The promises are there, Tom. The speaker's good, but what's happened ultimately is the public have said, yeah, yeah, we hear you, but we don't believe you anymore. And if you read the Edelman Trust Index, comes out every year, South Africa features the worst country when it comes to its citizens' trust in government, the worst out of all the countries rated in there, uh, and, and, it's, and it's getting worse each year. So government has really lost the people, never able to demonstrate that, it, that we can take it seriously. It's not sincere. So tomorrow's Sona is going to be, those who watch it, it's going to be a lot of hanging their hat on the, our current woes on the pandemic. And let's understand the pandemic has dug the hole deeper. But pre the pandemic, our real pandemic is this lack of ability to implement, lack of accountability, inability to seriously deal with uh, corruption uh, and a lack of trust in government by the stay by by its citizens and that i'm afraid is what it's going to be we're going to hear a lot of why the pandemic has, has made it bad and 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 these are the things we're going to do to fix it but guess what we're not there's going to be little belief in that i'm looking at the slide you provided when it comes to state-owned entities and the promises made in 2016 phase out irrelevant soes uh, there's a big failed site stamped it with a failed sign uh, 2017, review funding to prevent bailouts. That didn't happen. 2018, sell bankrupt SOEs. That hasn't happened. 2019, repurpose SOEs. And 2020, make bankrupt SOEs profitable. It sounds like a, a lot to deliver. Yeah, it's just too much. They can't. And you, what you find is the mixed messages. Uh, when they are going to let go of SME, uh, SOEs that aren't performing, they have a tap on the shoulder from their labor partners to say, oh, excuse me, what are you doing? So next year it changes. Now we're going to repurpose them and make them profitable and deal with leadership. Well, you know. So they're confused. I think government, uh, the ANC is a very confused party because it is fraught with internal factionalism. It is fraught with the, 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 the ideologies that tear it apart. Uh, you know, you want to introduce growth and prosperity through capitalist uh, thinking uh, but you have a communist uh, mindset that is that is holding it back. Uh, so, yeah, lots of promises around SOEs. Uh, the reality is they don't want to sell them. They don't want to 
a lot of money uh, through the back rooms of the dealings that happen. And, uh, and we just got to put that pressure on uh, to make sure that there are no more bailouts and that we challenge government on the, on the, on the, uh, the way they run these SOEs. And I can tell you now, when it comes to SAA, we have said it and we will drive an extremely concerted international boycott of this airline if government doesn't listen to its citizens. Wayne, let me take a look at some of the comments and bounce some of them off you. Uh, Tracy Lee Hewer says, tomorrow we'll hear about a new economy, inequality and injustices. Mm, I'm just going to move through these as quickly as I can because a lot have come through. So if I don't get yours up on screen, uh, I do apologize. I'm moving through them fast. Uh, Barbara Schillingor says, state of the nation, yes, the nation is in one hang of a state. Caroline Marx says, we need a shame of the nation address. Marina Mulberg-Smith says, I don't want to hear about super cities. I don't want to hear about all the pie-in-the-sky nonsense. While there are pit toilets in schools and potholes all over South Africa, I don't want to hear about any fantasy nonsense. Has she got a point? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, don't tell us about the dreams. We also dream about futuristic cities and the but we also dream about fixing what is currently supposed to be good in our country, our infrastructure. You know, South Africa is a leading uh, economy on the African continent. It had the best, uh, you know, bandwidth infrastructure, banking systems, oversight mechanisms, roads, harbors, rail networks, and 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 it's been allowed to decay. Fix what we have, maintain what we've got. Uh, and, and, and we'll get out of this hole a lot bigger. But if you want to abandon the current cities and build super uh, new cities, well, that's great. But what are you going to do with this stuff that we've already paid for? You can't abandon that. You, you know, build a new super hard, mm. super um, train system, new railway tracks. Why not fix the ones we have? Tracy Lee Hur says, I wonder whatever happened to the development plan. Nick Batulis. Now, there's a surname that I'm interested in because I worked with a lady called Angie Batulis many years ago. Nick, let me know if uh, you're related. Nick Batulis says, if they push NHI, many medical professionals will leave. We are already disheartened about the circumstances around this pandemic. NHI is, you know, the... the the, the, the noise around NHI has been a bit, it's been a bit quiet lately, Wayne. We haven't heard much about NHI. Any idea of what's happening with government's push to, to get NHI going? You know, I think, Tom, we've got to be careful how we handle it. The first thing is we've got to do something about health and the ability to help everybody uh, properly when it comes to health. So access to, to good health systems for all is the important message the, the way they were going about it through the uh, NHI process is one of the mechanisms we believe is a failed one. Uh, we've done a lot of research on that. And uh, your, the, the, the viewer is quite right. Uh, we've got a lot of uh, feedback from uh, health practitioners who just say, under those plans, they will leave. And we're already losing too many doctors and too many specialists. So we will be in a tough place if they go ahead with it. But the pandemic has exposed our gross inefficiencies and our inability to manage it. So I think they're going to have to have a rethink. Uh, but I don't know, Matt, uh, uh, your views there, uh, maybe Faisal, yours. I mean, it's we're watching this space closely. In, in Parliament, Matt, uh, what's the latest in the talk on NHR? Yeah, I mean, I, I'll hesitate to give my personal opinion. But what's happening in Parliament is um, there was an overwhelming amount of submissions from the public. So there has to be a, a round of public consultation. I think it's in the tens of thousands. So what they've had to do is really contract a, a third party to manage the consultation process because that's just how intense it is. And it seems like it's about 50-50. You know, many thousands of people agree with the proposed model and many thousands don't. But in my view, um, I mean, just a shallow one, is more like yours, Wayne. I think, you know, I've been in a public hospital um, and I've been treated there, and it's it's scary. You know, there are a lot of basics that we still need to to cover before we can think about these ambitious programs. Um, government at the moment, just in financial terms, is not in a good position at all. Not that it has been, but it's in a worse position than ever. So you need to, as as Wayne said before, rather capitalize and improve the systems that we already have 
rather than bringing in something that's just unrealistic. Makes sense. Thank you, Matt. Okay, a couple more comments before we end the show this evening. Koba Swanepoel says, fatigue is an understatement. Charmaine McGinley says, we are cut full. Rudy Hanneke says, in 2010... Uh, the 2010 Sona, Zuma announced an $846 billion for infrastructure development spend. Of that, $300 billion went to Transnet. Of that, $54 billion was used to buy locomotives, and $10 billion was looted. Tracy Lee Hewer says, imagine being the biggest opposition party and trying to check up on the ruling party. It's tiring. Mm, I'm just looking at more. Uh, a lot of people are criticizing the president, and I want to ask you if that criticism is, is fair, Wayne. Uh, specifically uh, because uh, our president is really bound by party policy and, and, and the NEC of the, the party that he leads. He, he, he can't really just ride roughshod over his own party policy. Do you have a level of sympathy for President Ramaphosa? Yes, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't want to be in his shoes. And don't get me wrong, we don't have sympathy for the sake of it. We want, to, we want him to lead, to stand up and be more forceful. The problem is that if he does that, he gives the, he gives the internal factionalism, factions within the party more ammunition to bring him down, to have him removed through a no-confidence uh, uh, discussion. So what he's doing, it's a strategic process. You know, he steps back. The NPA lays charges against Against Ace, he steps back and says, I'm not going to interfere. I can't. It's not my role. This is good stuff. That wasn't the case under Zuma. Uh, if he does, then he starts getting attacked from everybody in society, including uh, people from within. So, so I think, yes, you can be frustrated. But just know that um, if, if, if he wasn't there, <laughs> if Tlamini Zuma was there, because that was the Zuma faction, had that one, uh, I can tell you right now, we would be far down the road of a failed state. So things are happening. Shamila Batoy, I've said this a number of times, uh, stuff is going in the right direction, albeit too slowly. Uh, and yes, he frustrates us and he can do more maybe. Uh, but I think he's doing a lot more than what would have happened. So, you know, I can't say you can't criticize him. We've all got our own views. I'm not a, I'm not a Ramaphosa proposer or promoter at all. Uh, I just look at the reality of the situation and yeah i wouldn't want to be in issues well someone asked a little earlier on in the comment section what would you rather have would you rather have a deputy president david mabuza as president or ace magashula as, as president and i guess for many the answer would be no wayne uh, what can we expect tomorrow night what are you expecting in the last minute or two that we've got on the show give it just give us a, a gaze into your crystal ball well you know um, a lot about the pandemic again, I think, not so much as what we hear when he does give the talks around what, what's, what we have to do and, and, and the various uh, levels that we're in, but he's going to reflect on how the pandemic has, has, has decimated our economy more. Uh, and, and that will be, as I said, the, the hook that government's going to use to, to, to blame our situation. And he's not going to reflect on how inefficient government is. He's not going to tell us the true state of the nation. And he's going to tell us the stories of how we got to get out of this gigantic hole we're now in and we can get out of it and there will be some good talk uh, but what we want to hear is stuff that we can believe and i don't think we're going to hear that like you know from here on going forth i uh, you know i will this is what we'd love to hear i will resign as your president if we haven't achieved this by next year if we haven't achieved that by next year deliverables good deliverables um, that's not what you're going to hear, and that's what we want to hear. So it's all, you know, it's a, let, let's see what he says, um, and mm. uh, let's unpack it afterwards. I think we'll unpack it next week. Uh, we'll certainly be putting out a press statement tomorrow morning, uh, uh, sorry, the next day, uh, on, on what came out of the State of the Nation. And, yeah, it'll be another talk show. And your closing comments for your outer hour viewers this evening, Wayne? Love you all.
<laughs> Short and sweet from the CEO of Outer. Thank you, Wayne. A nice smile at the end there. Even uh, though we are in desperate times, uh, we can we can still share a smile together on the Outer Hour at the end of the show. Wow, we discussed a lot this evening. Thank you, Wayne Divinage, CEO of Outer. I'll put everyone up on screen now so that you can see a big goodbye from Faisal Davis, Legal Project Manager at Outer, Parliamentary Engagement Manager. Matt Johnston has joined us and the CEO of Outer have all been on board this evening for yet another outer hour thank you everybody and goodbye from the team you can all wave if you like and you know stefani fick makes heart figures that's how she wins the hearts of the viewers <laughs> but thank you Faisal. thank you matt thank you wayne good to see you again we'll be back oh there they are sorry i didn't have them on screen right do the hearts and the waves again because i had the wrong camera on my apologies so bye-bye no from everybody. There Cheers. they are, thank hearts you, and waves uh, from the team. And thank you from me to you, from, uh, from, from my side to you, wherever you find yourself, whether it's in the United Kingdom or South Africa. Thank you for joining us. Uh, every week we put the show on. Outer sponsors the show, brings the show to you so that there is at least some conversation around the pressing issues that face us as a nation, that face us as citizens of a country, and also uh, options. What can we do about it? Well, the starting point for you is, if you haven't been, outer.co.za, outer.coza. Take a look at the different projects and divisions that Outer run. There's a lot of information to absorb there. And as you read through the website, you'll understand that there is a part you can play. If you haven't pressed the Join Now button, consider joining Outer. Hit that Join Now button and uh, become part of the Outer family. Thank you from me. I hope you're going to have a wonderful, wonderful week. I hope that you're going to you make some money between now and next week. I hope that you and your family are going to stay safe most importantly that you're going to stay safe that there's some good food on the table and we meet each other again around this table next wednesday at seven o'clock in a fine mood ready to tackle the ills of our country until then i'm tom london and i miss you already our fight to eradicate corruption maladministration unethical leaders and the abuse of taxpayers money by those in power continues. It's fresh, it's fearless and focused. The Outer Hour, where your voice matters.